0: When I was trying to write the name down for our script and like to talk about it in our Slack, I just kind like, it was, I, I write with the U. Like I write, I, I yes. grew up in Canada. I write like that, but Believe I'm so conditioned me, I know. to- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is episode 61. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined, as always, by my fellow bedchamber maids, Carolyn Pettit. Hello. And Ebony Adams. What's up? This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love, or alternatively, where the feminist killjoy is coming for your media, depending on your perspective. Today we're going to be talking about The Favorite. And after that, we'll finish the show by each sharing a little something in What's Your Freakout. Now on with the show. Y'all, I had the most salty-ass bacon this morning, and I feel like I can't
1: talk. Like, is, did your tongue still feel, like, all yes. salty and stuff? It's Ugh.
0: not pleasant, man. Over no. Oversalting is a, just don't do it. Yeah. it Like, you make meat for a living. Don't you know how to fucking salt that shit? Where did you uh, get this salt? A lip? package of bacon from my but, local market? Yeah, not
2: really what I'm asking,
1: but <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, it's from an organic market that, I mean, it wasn't butcher bacon, but it was from like an organic distributor that does like sugar-free paleo bacon stuff, whatever. <sighs> I think it was just a bad batch and I'm very disappointed. And then I was eating it cold, which makes it even more salty. Y'all who know food know what I'm talking about
2: here. <laughs> it was just, All of your decisions today have been poor ones. Th-
0: th- I worked out this morning. So give okay, me that that's good. at least. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Uh, Ebony also had a delightfully
2: terrible breakfast as well. <laughs> um, listen, I, I made this decision, so I'm sticking by it. You know, whatever. It's just some fucked up oatmeal. Oatmeal can be so
1: good. I do love oatmeal, but I, I didn't hook it up right. This I think morning. we
0: all need to be more like Carolyn and have a lot more cereal in our lives. Yeah. It's just
1: so simple. You know, you pour it into the it's bowl, perfect. you pour the milk. It's it's hard to screw up, you know. It's hard to screw it up. I think I nailed it this morning.
0: Everyone be more like getting- Carolyn. Yeah, we all need to be more like Carolyn, really. Sure, Apparently our know. listeners want you on our Star Trek podcast as well. They just don't want no Carolyn, basically.
2: It was it was so sweet, too, because it was like, hey, so I guess this is what a podcast is like when <laughs> Carolyn's not alive. It, it was the sweetest kind of shade, you know? And it was like, yeah, we get it.
1: Okay, we get it. Carolyn is the one who keeps us on the rails. I mean, I thought it also could have been interpreted as, oh, they're, because it was like, Oh, yeah, I like I like that it gives me insight into what feminist frequency yeah, is no, like. Yeah, no, that's not Car- what that so was. So it sort of <laughs> sounds like it sort of sounds like I, uh, you know, gosh, it, imagine FFR if only Carolyn wasn't on it, it would be like this. Yeah, but, yeah it, it would to be me. For it read very much sure. like a southern woman's
2: bless your heart, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, like oh, this is what it would be like with Cal Carolyn, bless your hearts. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that said, let's get yeah. all of the Carolyn. Yeah, through our weekly entertainment news, Carol, you better have something good for us because I already have a handful of shitty things we could talk about.
1: Uh, okay. Well, I did remember that last week we had that we came to that decision of like you know maybe two bad things, one good thing. So mm-hmm. I have you know we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll yeah, see let's how do it the goes. shit
0: sandwich. It's great, except That's in true. reverse.
1: Well, no, I want to save the good for the last. <laughs> oh, so it's like an open yeah.
0: face sandwich. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Except upside down. Yeah. Um, okay.
1: So first of all. <laughs> We can all continue having our favorite pop culture conversation of the past several years as it has been announced that Jason Reitman, the son of Ghostbusters director Ivan Reitman, is going to be directing a new Ghostbusters movie set in the original universe. Uh, Details about the film are scant at this point. Uh, Presumably... um, original cast members like bill murray dan Aykroyd, and ernie hudson may make uh cameos or be supporting characters my guess is that it, it will see a sort of passing of the torch to like a new generation of ghostbusters but will those Gus- ghostbusters be all dudes will there be the one token you know smurfette woman among them will it be some kind of you know uh, ensemble with women and men, you know, who, who knows?
0: On a scale from one to 10, how excited
2: are you for this? Cute. For the- <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this. I can tell you, I guarantee you the the crop of Ghostbusters we're going to get in this, you know, <laughs> like Rip Van Winkle bullshit, there's going to be a um, black man in it to give kind of like, you know, to be the comic relief in it. a certain kind of comic relief, but then there'll be one woman, and she'll be, you know, like, badass, but not as badass as the men in it, and she will ultimately be the romantic foil for the main Ghostbuster, you know? Like, I guarantee that's what's gonna happen.
1: All right, like, that certainly would be, you know, very very formulaic, uh, and it certainly could come to pass. I mean, I mean, the original Ghostbusters film is a comedy, so I don't think that I, I love Ernie Hudson in that movie. Like, Winston might be my favorite Ghostbuster. Uh, I, and I don't think that he's... I wouldn't call him comic relief because I think they're all funny in different ways. But No, I, I don't think
2: but, that's what's going on in the original Ghostbusters. I'm saying for this new one, I think that, um, that there's there's a kind of, you know, formula for inclusion of people of color. And by and large, it's to bring, like, the sort of, you know street comedy like urban comedy sure you know and i mean definitely
0: it definitely can't be a woman of color because that would be going too far
2: no they're they're gonna try and spread it out so there'll be a black dude and there'll be a woman and she'll be super hot and there'll be like you know this um like tired ass banter between her and the kind of alpha ghostbuster and ultimately the, the story is still gonna mostly be about like the white folks and uh, and they're gonna wind up in bed together. I'm calling this right now. All when right. This, when this thing hits screens, if I turn out to be right, I want everyone
1: to send me a penny.
0: Okay. <laughs> everyone in the world.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of pennies.
0: <laughs> that is a lot of pennies, man.
1: All right. Well, we'll see. You know, we'll see how that uh, the not only film but the conversation around the film unfolds uh, in the months and probably one and a half to two years to come. So brace I'm yourselves so for that. I'm so excited. In other news, uh, let's see. Chris Pratt and Katherine Schwarzenegger are engaged. Please tell um, me that's not the good news. No, it's not the good okay. news. <laughs> so, <laughs> Damn, <girl>. um, <laughs> Uh Pratt's announcement post on Instagram said, and I quote, Sweet Catherine, so happy you said yes. I'm thrilled to be marrying you. Proud to live boldly in faith with you. Here we go. And um, also, you know, uh, alongside that. Does that mean they
0: haven't pre- had sex?
1: Oh, I think they probably uh, have. I, I don't, don't think I they just say they. it. I don't think these hip young you know churches that celebrities go to uh, take that part very seriously, but they sure do take part they they sure do take the like no gays or trans people part seriously Ooh. um queerty reports that pratt uh quote attends an anti gay church with a history of child molestation and ex gay Therapy. Yikes! In 2008, it was revealed that Hillsong Church—that's the name of the church that he goes to—referred uh, many of its gay members into ex-gay conversion therapy. Uh, the church has since said it no longer encourages ex-gay therapy, but a former gay congregant uh, still warns gay people that Hillsong will never accept them. Um, this, this. Uh, Jesus Christ! Yeah. I yeah. mean,
0: oh, wow! I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um. <sighs> Fuck this shit, y'all! Like. It is 2019.
1: I know this is know.
0: unacceptable.
1: Yeah,
2: isn't
0: putting on Justin God. Bieber's church? Too? It is.
1: It is also Justin Bieber's church. Yes. Oh boy,
0: just Canada needs to take Justin Bieber back. I don't want everyone to hear about him again.
1: <laughs> Real quickly, uh, since we kind of talked about this last week, but um, so by the time this airs, uh, we're recording this on Monday. Uh, on Tuesday, the Oscar nominations, I believe, will be announced. So, by the time this airs on Wednesday, we will all know that Green Book has been nominated for Best Picture, as it surely, <laughs> as it surely will be. It, it did win Best Picture um, this weekend at the Producers Guild Awards. So, what? another kind of nail in the Best Picture coffin for, for Green Book there. Um, it's looking pretty, you know, it's looking quite likely that it will win Best Picture. Um, I everything. Yeah, pretty, pretty awful. Um, all right, so, you know, let's see um, some good things, some good things. Um, images of Keanu Reeves t- with Dolly Parton made the rounds on the internet. Blessing that was a great thing. Blessing everyone's Twitter timeline. Yeah. Um, so happy. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. Uh, yeah, uh, made his yeah, debut I in the Spider-Man Far From Home. Trailer. Whatever you're about to say, Anita, don't say it.
0: <laughs> Fine. Uh,
1: Anita, I'm sure is super excited about this.
0: I didn't know people loved him so much. I'm yeah. one of those
2: people, so don't even fix your lips all right, to start. All right. Okay. i I'll, I'll I'll just be here quietly.
1: Yeah. Hit me up on WhatsApp
2: you. later, so I can screenshot
1: it and then call you out. Also. Uh, where in the world is Carmen San Diego is now on Netflix. Apparently it's pretty good. I haven't yeah. watched it yet. Oh my um, god, really? Yeah. That's why people are talking about it. Yeah, because it's out. Those are
0: those are all good things. So I guess I shouldn't bring up my one bad news thing this weekend. <laughs> I'll just
2: keep that to myself. We got time. We got time. To Do fill. we have time for whatever's inevitably gonna be a shit garnish to our open face pop culture sandwich? Do you have another good thing for us?
1: No, I'm I'm out of good things. <laughs>
0: The Erica Badu stuff, man. I oh know. yeah. So yeah. really quick, because we want we need to wrap this up. Is she uh, played a show in Chicago, and she um, said that she like her prayers are with R. Kelly and hope he gets better. And that like you know what are we gonna do if like the people he abuses become abusers? Are we just gonna attack everybody? Like she went off on stage, kind of defending this guy, and everybody was like, well, no, you need to see what she actually said, so I watched the damn video. Man, fuck her, she's canceled. Like, she has said so much stupid shit over the years, and we all kind of keep forgiving her and keep forgiving her culturally, right? Like, who cares what any individual thinks of this but that was like why are you even saying anything and how dare you so to me
2: i'm like how are you not like how are your prayers not with the fucking black girls that are being abused
0: and tortured like how dare you
2: you know what's gross about it is that erica has been getting a pass because of this like earth child bullshit This like Mm -hmm. you know iconoclast eccentric whatever but she's been saying mad problematic stuff for years yes like she should have been gathered up and to be honest many folks especially black women have been gathering her up because she has consistently come out with these (laughs) lukewarm ass takes about how you know um Like, girls need to, you know, girls and young women, they aren't responsible for predation, but really maybe they should pay attention to how they present themselves and how it's natural for men and boys to be sexually attracted to them. This is human nature, whatever. And it's like, this could not be a more unformed bullshit ask worldview so yep it's it's time to call Tyrone and tell me to pick <laughs> you up Erica because <laughs> we need you to leave the party
0: maybe you just need to pray for Tyrone Sure. oh boy alright so sorry to ruin it next week I will not ruin our happy delightful news at the end there but that shit pissed me off <laughs> Hey, y'all. Did you know that we can keep bringing Feminist Frequency Radio to the airwaves because of you? It's true. If you are enjoying our show, please consider joining our podcast community at d.rip Femfreak. It's where you'll get access to some fun perks and bonus episodes. And really, at the end of the day, you're going to help us keep bringing feminist media criticism to the airwaves. So please head on over to d.rip Femfreak. All right. Moving on to our main segment for today, the favorite with a U, I might add. because I was may- so
1: frustrated when I went to the movie theater yesterday. I went to this theater, you know, the California here in Berkeley, got a beautiful marquee. And seeing that U in the middle of that word, I was like, no, we don't they? spell it that way here.
0: When I was trying to write the name down for our script and like to talk about it in our Slack, I just had like... It was I. I write with the U. Like I write. I, I yes. grew up in Canada. I write like that. But believe I'm so me,
1: conditioned
0: I know. To... <laughs> 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 I'm so conditioned to like not do it that I was like, wait, is it? Isn't it? I don't know. My head exploded. Anyways. Uh, The Favourite stars the incredible Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weisz in 18th century England. While there's a war waging between England and France, another war is waging inside of the royal house when Lady Sarah and her new servant Abigail use emotionally cruel and manipulative tactics against one another to win the primary affection of a very unhinged and physically unwell queen. Y'all, how I wrote this one, just saying... And I it did the very war good. and the war in the house and the outside. I was very proud of myself last night. I mean, it's quite good.
2: It's quite good.
0: <laughs> Thank you. We're going to let you. you do
2: more of these, Anita. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just was like, I don't. I was like, I feel like this is in competition with Carolyn's wonderful no, interest rates.
1: We're all on the same team here.
2: Anyways. I was team proud Carolyn.
1: Of team Carolyn is the best. Well, that
2: is true. Uh, <laughs> Anita and I saw this film together. Uh, with a friend and it was delightful seeing a movie with her although because you know um we sat in a row and we weren't sitting exactly next to each other i wasn't able to look over and share key moments of this film which i i really uh-huh. really needed to be able to look someone in the face and be like uh-huh. oh
0: what the fuck just I kept just looking over we at a mutual friend and was like you're laughing right like yeah. so the theater we were in had like four other people in it maybe and and uh, the three of us that were there together were laughing our asses off, like audibly and loudly, and no one else was
2: making a noise. And I had to keep looking. I had to keep looking over, and being like, "This is funny, right?" Like I'm not. <laughs> like- yeah. I, well, I think there's this, you know, this expectation among many people when they watch, you know, what they assume is going to be like period drama equals serious drama, right? Um, or period piece rather equals serious drama. Um, and you know, elevated. And, and th- this film, like it, it. Yes, it is funny. You you are supposed to laugh out loud. That dance scene, like there's no other way you can react to that than by losing your shit in the theater. I lost my mind. I wanted to roll down the aisles.
0: At the time, at the point when the dance scene showed up, I was like, oh my God, this movie needs to be called like white people are weird. Like, the weird shit that white people do, right? Like, because at that point, there had been so many instances
2: of, like, what the fuck is wrong with everybody? I love that dance scene so much because, so much because it reminded me of, like, those, um, like, a 90s Madonna video. Um, oh. You know, that, that kind of, like, yeah. pageantry. And especially because of the um, people of color in, in the shot, you know? Like, it just felt... Very much like a set piece, and I think and obviously it was it was designed to be that way. But I I loved this movie, you know, like I absolutely loved it, and I will be watching it again.
1: I didn't I didn't love the movie. I um I have a an admiration for it. Certainly, I think that it's it's impeccable. You know, the production is it's stunningly beautiful. I think you know Rachel Weisz can have her way with me anytime, only when uh, she's no, done she, at my house. She's I mean, you know, but she and uh, um, I mean, all the leads are are phenomenal. I think that I just have a hard time getting emotionally attached to a story in which everyone's relationships to each other are purely uh, about, you know, power games and manipulation. Like there's no there's no real human connection in this film because everyone is viewing each other as uh, as, as opportunities, as things to be stepped on to achieve a higher uh, level of standing, so it's all it's all these like cold, calculated machinations. And I think that the film, I mean, uh, I think the film knows that. Like, I think that I think that you know, in the end, like the film is sort of aware that that oh, there's like these people are kind of you know because they've been so focused on these. Uh, these power games and everything like they don't really have anything of substance in their lives. And also like what choice do they have? You know, um, uh, Emma Stone's character, um, you know, she can, she can spend her life as a scullery maid, or she can like try to maneuver her way up, you know, and what, what are you going to do in that situation? Of course, you're going to try to achieve a better life for yourself. But um, I think it's just a, you know, maybe a, a personal thing about me is that um, so I mean, I liked the film. I admired it. I, I enjoyed it. But it did leave me a little cold because I did see it all all as just this one big power game. And I guess I I guess I wish that that there had been a little bit more authentic humanity in it to kind of contrast with everyone's, you know, uh, cold courtly machinations.
0: I 100% agree with you, Carol. Like that's what, that was exactly my reaction when I walked out of the theater. Cause I don't, I, I also don't like TV show. Like there's a lot of shows that are heralded and films that are heralded as like magnificent. And I'm like, I need to like somebody. <laughs> like I can't dislike everybody and still like the, um, the material. Right. And so the tension with the favorite is that it is so well acted it is so well costumed it is so the music like it's such an incredible film oh it um, is but it was the i had a really hard time being like well where is this going why is it going this way who what oh this is happening now oh i don't like you after all uh, and i had i had a hard time with that even though i can appreciate I can appreciate the pieces of the movie that make it so wonderful. Um, it felt very tense and and it felt a little long to me. Like I feel like some of the pacing because of the tensions and the back and forth felt a little bit like, okay, I'm
2: I think I'm done with this movie now.
0: Right. Like it when it when it ended, I was like, oh good, it's over. <laughs> um,
2: I, I didn't feel that it was over long, perhaps because to me, um, it was it was a, a wonderful way. To feel viscerally how wearing and taxing and exhausting it is to live in that kind of environment in which you must always be on guard. You must always, as you you know point out, Carolyn, you must always be maneuvering and kind of either solidifying your your current position or angling for a higher one. Because the minute you take your eye off the ball, you know you may be kicked down a rung or further. And so yeah, like I, I felt that that tension, um, but. As 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 the film grinded on and as the like the back and forth and ma- the manipulation were on you know i i started to feel that you know that 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 constant low level of fear and anxiety that you know how will you know um abigail be outmatched in this scene and then how will that then you know how will she then you know turn uh the situation around to her advantage but in terms of like likability i'm i'm so in love with films in which the women are unlikable and and all of the women are to some degree unlikable. And that, that happened at every level. Right. So when um, Abigail is first introduced and given a job in the kitchens and, you know, is bedding down in that oppressive small space with the other scullery mates, there's that battle even at that level between her and one of the other kitchen staff. Right. Like for no reason at all, this other woman has decided to torment, you know, this this new employee, this new servant,
1: right? Because um, I think there's there's a hierarchy even there, right? Exactly. And so that exactly. that maid is trying to assert that she is above uh, this new this new arrival by 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 playing that kind of horrible trick on her.
2: Yeah, and I actually appreciated that because I think so many um, films in which there's, you know, uh, a contrast between the upper classes and the serving classes below them, you know, it's a very Titanic kind of move, right? So, like, there's this insistence on there being this, like, earthy, you know, um, trueness, like salt of the earth, you know, um, character to the people (laughs) in the serving classes. And so I kind of love that this film is like, no, these people are also trash. Like you're always just scrabbling for position and for the tiniest bit of power that you can. Um, but at any rate, like at the end of the film, despite the ways that she is maneuvered and manipulated, um, throughout the film by people who are much stronger than her, the fact that Olivia Colman is able to present a Queen Anne to us who you can nevertheless tell that she's much sharper than she's being given credit for. You know, that she is much smarter than she's being given credit for. And that the problem is not that she is insufficient under herself, but that because of her position, because of her gender, because of t- profound tragedies she's experienced in her life, she is fighting so hard to survive um and and assert what she wants and and you know kind of claim her desires. In um, a system that that wants to deny her any access to anything, that wants her to be simply a figurehead in that chair. Yeah,
1: and I I do hope that. So I mean, Olivia Coleman is is just fantastic, and yeah. like you know, we've talked before about her uh, being uh, you know uh, on on Broadchurch. Like, I really hope that this film is sort of a stepping stone to, to us seeing more of her in you know in really meaty roles in maybe in films, right? Or or you know, or more great television too. But like, I'd love to see her career uh you know become uh bigger i guess uh because i just i just think that yeah you know, i mean she's just she's just so great and actually i was reminded of of our last last week's film whatever happened to baby jane at, at one point like uh, a little bit um with she uh she appears at one point with this you know with very striking bold kind of makeup on and and um so Rachel, the, uh, uh, wait, no, not Rachel. Rachel Weiss's character is Sarah, right? Lady or Abigail. Sarah, yeah. Sarah. Okay. Like she, she tells, uh, the queen flat out, like you look like a badger. Right. And, and which, you know, her makeup kind of reminded me of the very extreme kind of makeup that Betty Davis wears in, in, uh, baby Jane. But I was also so struck by, by their relationship. Um, the way that Sarah was able to be like so blunt, With the queen, uh, like she understood that they had they had gotten to that point where she could say those things, and the queen was not going to say, you know, well, off with off with your head, right? Or just because the queen could probably, it seems like the queen could, if she wanted to, in a fickle moment, uh, you know, call for somebody's, you know, execution. I mean, I don't know what the 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 limits of her power, if any, in that regard, but. you know, it, it was very surprising to me to see um, characters not who had, who had earned the queen's kind of uh, confidence and trust be as um, as open and with her as they were. I was just shocked. I loved
0: that. In relation to that, I I was heartbroken and also loved the scene towards the closer to the end where Sarah is trying to talk to the queen through the door. Right? The, yeah. She, the queen won't let her in, and she's like. She she ultimately is like being honest with you is love and like being direct and honest and not manipulating you and not, you know, she which is insincere because Sarah does manipulate the queen for sure. But the piece of that, like in relation to the eye makeup and in relation to um, other other matters, like I I loved that. Like, I loved that that was it it felt like a very real moment in this film. Um, And the fact that that was still dismissed because the pain of um, honesty was too much for the queen at that time, as opposed to like just unconditional like fawning.
2: Well, and also just, you know, Lady Sarah is insistently, relentlessly you know, brutal with the queen when she feels that that honesty is necessary, but she doesn't couple it with with the tenderness and the gentleness that Abigail brings, right? And so if Lady Sarah had found a way to be brutally honest with the queen, but also recognize that there are moments when the queen does need to be cared for, in a tender way. Um, this film suggests this would not have happened. So, you know, there's that key scene where Lady Sarah first comes upon Abigail, you know, um, having a very tender, emotional moment with the queen in the the bunny menagerie in the queen's quarters. Um, and And she dismisses the importance of that because there's she's forgotten that it's not just you know, kind of speaking truth to power that has gotten her position with the queen. She's made a very crucial tactical error there. Um, and and she's she's completely unaware until it's too late how important that is.
1: And we yeah. do see some yeah. actual humanity. You know, in her, I think there's a scene where she has letters that could, you know, incriminate the queen, right? Because they reveal that they've had a sexual relationship, these two women. And uh, she threatens to to, uh, release the letters and kind of destroy the queen. Um, But after she does that, she does burn the letters. And it does seem to be motivated by actual kind of you know she doesn't have any reason to burn the letters other than like regret or that she that she had said those things right um so uh, you know uh, like those were the those are moments that kind of fascinate me is where we do maybe see a little bit of like of 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 people behaving a- a- according to like actual you know more genuine uh just human emotions of their own rather than purely out of a desire to manipulate or, you know, others or, or position themselves with regard to others.
0: Yeah. To, to pull back a little bit. um, I was thinking about Ebony. You're like, I like seeing these women just be trash, right? Like we don't get to see that very (laughs) often. And I was thinking about how, this movie is about these three women. Like, the men are very secondary and very ultimately unimportant unless they're pawns in the manipulation uh, schemes for these women. And, like, there's something very nice about that for us because you don't, like... It's not often that you get these casts of women that are just... It's all women unless it's, like... A movie that is created as like quote unquote a rom com or like something that is targeting women in this sort of like they're not usually these big award winning best picture nominee dramas right and so I really like just watching these women be the main focus endlessly in in totality I think my issue is that with what you're saying what like with what you're attracted to Ebony is that we still have like. I would like to see still I would like to see much more range of women given roles like this right where where we can be just the fullness of human beings whether it's utter trash or delightfully wonderful or anything in between and so it's but it's hard for me to be to see them all be kind of trash in one film right because it still sets up this like in my mind, I could see people being like, "Yeah, well, women are manipulative," or I could see men. Sorry, let me be clear. I could see men being like, "Yeah, well, women are actually manipulative," right? In in all of the ways that patriarchy tells us that women are that way, like in it is our nature to be that way, and we're always going to deceive the men in our lives or whatever. And so, I think that from a larger, like patriarchy view, was that that sat with me a little bit in this film. I
2: I, I totally get that. Um, I found what was interesting about the the presentation of women strategizing and women's power in this film is that it actually when you when you examine it it actually is quite different from the way that um that it traditionally has been represented so um i i think there's a Traditionally, when we see women who have attained some level of power or access, you know, in proximity to power, the assumption is that they've used um, their, their status as sexual objects to achieve that position, right, and to maintain that position. And so it's very interesting that, you know, you can make the case that that's partially... Um, responsible for how Lady Sarah and Abigail um, achieve and maintain their closeness to the queen but the fact that they are using that sexual power in service to another woman I think is notable but also the film does take pains to show us these conversations that Lady Sarah has with Godolphin or the leader of the um, of the Whigs um, and Lady Abigail has <laughs> with that her husband Masham you know. Where the conversations that they are having, whether it's, you know, uh, with other people or talking to themselves, are very high level and very complicated and show like a profound astuteness right? It's not just some sort of instinctive, you know, I want this because it will make me more powerful. Um, and it will ensure that I never have to, you know, work as a um, a prostitute down on the docks. It's that I have an idea for the preservation of the empire um, or for the preservation of England, or I have an idea about how, you know, this should be run. Uh, and they're, they're actually quite intelligent, you know? So... I get what you're saying, but I do think this this shows us like, yeah, these women are absolutely manipulative, like that is their that is their watchword, their byword. but it is you know, a, a more studied, a more complicated version of that than we had traditionally have been given,
0: also the men are manipulative too. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is another piece of it that, that smooths it out a little bit. I mean, not to dismiss what I was saying, but to, to corroborate your point, is like the men are also all manipulative in this space as well. For yeah, the and
2: part. they're ultimately subject to um, the decisions of the women around them, right? Like mm-hmm. Godolphin and Marlborough, you know, any of the men that we get in this, ultimately, if they want access to the queen, they have to go through these two women. And when it comes down to the decisions uh, about the affairs of state, they are sub to the dictates of the queen. So no matter how powerful they are, there is always a woman who can, you know, who sort of precedes them in power.
0: Can we talk about the courtship between uh, Abigail and the dude?
2: Yeah, boy. So, uh.
0: so there are two scenes that I fucking loved that I just wanted to point out. So one, we didn't get a lot there. We don't know anything about him. He's, he's purely just a a pawn in this story. But there's a scene where he's clearly attracted to Abigail. He goes into her room and she she's like, are you here to seduce, r- seduce me or to rape right. me? And he says, I'm a gentleman. And she goes, so rape. And she lays limp. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God, that was fucking genius. Like that, w- the whole way that that played out was so, so pointed, um, which it also throws back to at the very beginning when uh, Abigail first shows up and she talks about how she got pushed out of um, she got pushed out of the carriage by this guy who was like jerking. off.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. like
0: the way it was. As soon as that they showed that clip and the way she talked about it and framed it I was like, "Oh, I know, like I I know I know this movie kind of, right? Like I know where they're going. Like there's these really smart moments in here that are very they're not subtle at all, right? They're very bold, but they're also not the point, um which I th- I think is really interesting and it really I like how smartly that was thrown in there as we're not going to sidestep over this shit. Um the other thing with their courtship is uh, that weird like when they're in the forest and they're <laughs> they're like they're literally like their sort of weird foreplay is fighting each other like he is he is like attacking her and she's fighting him off and pulling him in and fighting him off and it's so uncomfortable and you're like does she want this or not want this like what is happening and it reminds me of the dance like it's a much it was like supposed to be in contrast to like, uh, like the the I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like the dance is this very formalized. Everybody knows it, but it's a different kind of the same bullshit and like wacky and weird dance that you do as courtship.
2: Yeah, and ultimately the push me pull you that she does with Mashem, you know, doesn't um, end with her sort of surrendering. To him, right? And like, ah, okay, you finally bested me, you know, in this love challenge. Um, But we also,
0: yeah, but we also don't know. So she like manipulated her way into marrying him when he explicitly said he did not want that. But then we don't ever see whether he is okay with it or not. You just see that one scene where she's jerking him off and talking about how she needs to keep the upper hand and it's so
2: <laughs> well, I mean, but then he is he is pushed aside as soon as her his utility to her um is lessened right so we see that scene later once she has been um made the queen's favorite the the first lady of the bedchamber um and she's you know at that drunken party and she's flirtatiously like rubbing up on this other dude in full view of Masham who just has to sit there and take it. Yes. I, I loved this movie, y'all. I don't know if that would to clear. I loved this movie. It immediately made me want to go home and watch Amadeus because for one thing, I love myself some Baroque music, you know, and Baroque blending into classical uh, music. But I, I loved it. I loved, and, and people have talked about the look of this film and they've talked about the costuming and hair and makeup on this film. The monochrome um, black and white garb that everyone was wearing was luscious. It was absolutely luscious that the designs and the complexity and the very different ways people were dressed, even when the palette was simply black and white. I I absolutely loved it.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a stunningly beautiful film. And, uh, visually like it's, I mean, the locations that they shot on, you know, um, are, are, you know, authentic, uh, obviously palaces and things and and what you know what i especially loved about about the physicality of the film is how much how much um movement takes place through these kind of hidden tunnels in the palace it seems right like these kind of these be- secret passages behind just like wooden panels that don't really look like doors i found that like Really interesting, just in terms of the design of the space. I um, but also it's like, like
0: it was so jarring because it would be pitch black, right? And so you think it's nighttime, and then you're like, no, this is just like a hidden alleyway.
1: Yeah, but, you know, I I think it also I mean, I think there's a sort of symbolic level on which it works, too, in that in that so much of what's actually happening at court is this kind of, you know, business in the shadows or like this, these that sort of thing. Um, I also want to I want to talk at least a little bit about um, the Queen's rabbits. Um, So the Queen has uh, 17, I think, 17 rabbits in her in her bedchamber. And she reveals at one point in this kind of tender moment of, of opening up to, um, to, uh, Abigail, um, that, the that the rabbits, each rabbit represents a child that she lost or, you know, some of them, she says were lost, like, you know, b- before, I guess some of some of them were miscarried. Some of them, uh, died, you know, were bo- stillborn. Some of them maybe lived a few days and then, you know, and then died. Um, And so, so then, like, in that room, in the queen's room, this sorrow, this, like, these living, um, uh, symbols, really, of, of that grief are, like, are always, always there. And so, so the final scene, like, the final shot, um, really focuses on the rabbits a lot, right? And, um, and I feel like, um... Uh, So that, that final shot really stuck with me because, because, um, uh, it's, it's Abigail and the queen and, you know, Abigail is, is kind of, um,
2: rubbing the queen, stimulating,
1: stimulating the queen. Right. Um, but, but it feels at that point, it feels very sort of, you know, again, it feels very cold. It feels very just like routine. Um, and so I, and and we see again like all the rabbits around so i guess i guess it's just there's this weight of sorrow there and this feeling of like oh yeah like this is what all of abigail's machinations have brought her to is this kind of like you know empty transactional uh role in this life of this woman that is so dominated by by like grief and loss and um and everything i don't know it's it's a it was a really haunting ending for me.
2: Yeah. You know, of, of all the things that I loved about this film, and again, I loved this film, I I was, <sighs> that last shot stuck with me too, as we, the camera um, looks up at Queen Anne as she is diddled <laughs> by Abigail, and then the the mass of bunnies, you know, sort of fade into the shot. <sighs> I didn't. Want that to be the last scene, and I'm still wrestling with why I didn't want that to be the last scene. Um, part of it is because I wasn't sure what the f- if I, as much as I loved about it, I wasn't sure if I trusted what the film was doing with um, female sexuality in the film, and in particular, women loving women um, sexually, right? Um, because it seemed as if. <laughs> I don't know. It was just one more thing that women can do um, to ad- advance their cause, but it's never real. Like there's nothing real it behind doesn't, it.
1: Yeah. The film doesn't exactly like aff- present queer love in this like affirming light. Yeah. It's it's not, it's not, that's not the story it's telling, right? It's not a story no, and about. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I guess it would, I would have liked if there had been even just one scene Um, where Abigail or Lady Sarah or a scullery maid, I don't care, had been shown, like, tenderly kissing another woman. And then, if we got the ending that we did, I would feel as if the film was not suggesting that, you know, like queer sexuality is itself, you know, like a transactional kind of thing always and forever, but simply like in this instance, it is, I don't know. I, I wrestled with that and I'm still wrestling with that being the the final scene. Um, and also because I just loved Olivia Coleman's character and characterization of Queen Anne so much that the final shot that we get of her, um, you know, like shooting someone from below is never going to be a good look you know, from that close up. And I just wanted more dignity for her. And um, I don't know. I don't know. Am I making any sense? Probably not.
0: Yeah, you are. I mean, that was a really rough. I was like, this scene needs to end. Like, it's going on fucking way too long. It was a lot. And like, you know, the the mimicry of this sort of, that that position is very much the subservient position that we see, like, stereotypically men do to women to, like, get blowjobs, right? Um, and so, like the hand on her head and like holding her down, and then like the grief of the bunnies interjected of like, oh, everything is bad. Like that's what I walked away from it with was like everything is bad. Grief re perpetuates; it never leaves. It's always here, um, no matter like who comes in, and the joy is always gone to some degree. Um, it was a
2: it was a really intense. Ending.
0: Yeah, it absolutely
2: was. I did not go into this film knowing anything about the House of Stuart, and I came out not knowing anything else. Yeah. <laughs> like I, this, you don't go to this film for a history lesson. It is wildly apocryphal. Although I did learn that both Lady Sarah and Lady Abigail did exist. Um, and oh, I really? Read, yeah, and have and the the general sort of shape of their stories is, that we see in this film is exactly what happened. Um, Fascinating. Apparently, yeah. Apparently part of our, in fact, a large part of the understanding, our modern understanding of Queen Anne as this like sickly, easily led, um, you know, um, sort of grotesque, weak-willed woman is largely to do with Lady Sarah's memoirs in which she painted this very unflattering portrait of Queen Anne. And so our modern understanding until quite recently has been colored by this. And it, that's, people are saying, you know what, that's not actually accurate, you know? I mean, I have no love for uh, the British Empire, but uh, but Queen Anne did reign during a period of huge expansion for the British Empire. She, you know, presided over and ruled over um, in England, a a United Kingdom, what would become the United Kingdom, in which tremendous political changes were occurring. Um, So it's, it, it. is she's ill served by the portrait of her that we have gotten, um and that portrait comes directly from Lady Sarah, you know, so after she was sort of banished from court and exiled, she took her final revenge.
0: oh, fascinating, yeah and no history any of that. history all right, y'all let's uh move on to what's your freak out <laughs> Carolyn, you want to get us started
1: sure. Uh, so uh, in addition to the favorite I want to see another film um, this weekend which is called um, Cold War. Um, Cold War is a uh, it's a it's a Polish film. It's directed by and I'm I'm, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing this right but it's uh, the director's name is uh, Pavel Pavelkowski and uh, this film is uh, it's a black and white film. it's a very lean, film it's 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 89 minutes long so it's it's very short for like a feature-length uh live action film um and it's it takes place in um from the early 1940s to the late 1950s and it's um it's basically it's a story about two um polish uh people uh, you know a man and a woman who meet um through this pro- through this Polish project to bring Polish folk music to uh, the the Polish masses, and then also to, to tour and to bring the music to to neighboring um, uh, nations. Um, but you know they're they're also kind of oppressed in in Poland, and um, and so over the basically over the, the 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 years and the the few decades that follow, um, these people, these two people, these lovers are. You know, repeatedly, kind of torn apart and thrust back together, and torn apart and thrust back together. And the film, I mean, um, it. Uh, you know, a lot of it takes place in like these '50s Parisian nightclubs, and and I mean, it's just they're just so beautiful. I mean, this the aesthetic of this film. You know, you have first of all, you have two leads um, who look like. I mean, they have the kind of classic beauty of like classic um you know hollywood movie stars they're very they're just very strikingly attractive on screen and that like paired with the environments that they're often in these beautiful smoky you know neon lit kind of parisian nightclubs uh, it's just aesthetically it's just it's it's a really beautiful film but um it's also, uh, you know, as a, as a love story, it's kind of heart wrenching, but there's also a lot going on here about politics and about music. You know, they, in the mid fifties, rock and roll kind of emerges, you know? And, and so there's this scene where, uh, they're at this club in Paris and like a very well-known rock song, um, starts playing and the, the dancing is just so exuberant and so alive. But, um, But you know that these two people aren't really free. You know, they're like having this moment of just exuberance and freedom um, as the the music plays, but they're not really free. And anyway, it's it's a rich film. Again, it's about politics and music and national identity and love. And it's uh, it's in beautiful black and white. It's called Cold War. Um, And uh, yeah, I I I recommend it. It's very good.
2: Awesome. Ebony. Ebony. Uh, Okay, so we are recording this on Monday, uh, Martin Luther King Day here in America. And so I just want to share some stuff that I'm revisiting today. And I want to encourage people to check out one or all of these things, because even though you won't be hearing this till Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever, when you listen to it, that actually is kind of the point. Um, Certainly, if you are an American, you would be forgiving for never thinking about Martin Luther King except on this, (laughs) this day in January. Um, except of course for when conservatives trot out his name and you know, try and convince us in very spurious ways that he would support their conservative policies, which is largely bullshit. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Mike Pence. Anyway, um, just there is an amazing piece called The Whitewashing of the King assassination by this phenomenal writer named Van Newkirk. He's uh at Five Fifths on Twitter. Uh, um, we'll put the links to all of these in the show description. It is an amazing um incredibly rigorously argued piece about um, the ways that we misunderstand King's legacy and, you know, the way we have engaged in this willful blindness about what he meant during his time period and also the ways in which resistance was heavily mobilized against him and has been sort of ossified in American culture. Um, I want to also shout out the friend of the podcast, Jay Smooth, Um, and his great video, 10 other things Martin Luther King said, (laughs) because too many of y'all just know a couple of lines from the, I have a dream speech. Um, and then the final thing is this great piece that, um, Imani Gandhi, angry black lady on Twitter, uh, wrote called, um, Martin Luther King. I don't know Martin Luther King's position on abortion, and neither do you, <laughs> which is a response to um, the those people who advance the notion that, you know, abortion is a so-called black genocide and that Martin Luther King Jr. would be against it. So three wonderful pieces to celebrate the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., I encourage you, like I said, to check out one or all of the three that we'll be sharing. Excellent.
0: Um, I completely forgot to plan a freak out, so <laughs> I'm going to do what I said I was going to do last week. Um, if you heard the bonus, sorry you're listening to this again, but I recently watched Pitch Perfect again, and it was one of those, um, uh, moments where I was with some friends and we were like, oh my God, let's watch something like, you know, like a sort of classic fun film that we all love, right? Because everyone loves Pitch Perfect, and yo... It was made in 2012, which does not feel that long ago. But in the time, in like the internet time of
1: 2012 <laughs> to 2019. No, that's an
0: eternity. So it's a massive amount of change. Like the... So it was an, So this is the experience that I'm trying to articulate. The film has a lot of fucked up jokes, like a lot of cringy, like fat shaming, kind of homophobic, actually not kind of very homophobic. Like there's a lot happening in that movie that I, even four years ago was like, didn't really recognize or didn't think was a huge, I don't know. I, I watched it four years ago and did not feel this way. So whatever. Um, And I was really, like, me and my friends were all really surprised at how uncomfortable it was to watch. And I couldn't help but think that that movie could not be as popular today uh, if it came out today because of all of these elements in it. And so, one, that's disappointing and sad that this movie that, like, people still think very fondly of is actually really fucked up, even if it is enjoyable – For like the other fun, entertaining musical elements of it, but that like it's kind of cool how far we've come, right? Like we still have a long way to go, and things aren't great and whatever. But like the media landscape has changed so much in however many years that is, uh, that like we don't we have a lower threshold and tolerance for some of the bullshit in our media. And again, I'm not saying that we don't still get crap like fucking green book or whatever green road green, green book, truck green book. green book yeah um and we don't get like we have you know terrible comedy shows we have all this stuff that's bad but we have so much more other stuff than we ever had before and we have so many more voices who have a platform that get to say that transphobic joke was fucked up or why are you casting people that are not appropriate for the role or like, why is this, you know, we there are voices that get to talk about this stuff and get heard and get trending and get like put pressure on Hollywood to be fucking better, man. And I, so I'm both like, Oh God, I can't believe it. And also kind of like thrilled that we have been doing this work and there is some, um, uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that there's some action, like you can see the difference, right? Like in our, in this short period of time, we can see a difference. So, right, right. right. That's my freak out. Uh, we want to know what you're freaking out about. So please head over to feministfrequency.com slash freakout and submit your own and I might make it on the show. Um, yeah, we would like that. Please do that. I know I just said we'd like that, but we really, really would like that. So if I say it three more times, maybe it'll be real. I'm going to stop talking now because that's our show. You can catch us back here every single Wednesday and be sure to stay tuned for the bonus episode, which is coming up right now, but it's only available as a backer of this podcast, which you can very easily be by heading over to d.rip slash Femfreak. Uh, Just a quick announcement, our Star Trek Discovery recap podcast is back, and it is a shit show, and you should absolutely come listen to it. You can find that in, we'll link it in the show notes, uh, so please check it out. Let us know if you're listening. Let us know if you're watching that terrible show. It's going to be great. Uh, if you are enjoying this show, please rate and review us on iTunes. And when you're fingering your boss, <laughs> you can uh-uh, tell them. No, <laughs> girl, uh-uh.
1: that's, that's not a job to. description.
0: Yeah, I had to. I had to. No, I mean, it might be didn't. a job. It also might be totally inappropriate. Okay, I'm sorry. We couldn't have talked about this whole no, podcast f- without mentioning that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah.
2: We could have. We easily could have. But it's too late now.
0: Anyways, tell your friends about us. Rate and review us on iTunes. All good things. No bad things, please. Uh, You can check out our work and our other podcasts at FeministFrequency.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at FemFreak to stay up to date on all the news. I am reachable at Anita Sarkeesian on Twitter.
1: I'm at Carolyn Michelle. I am at Don't Finger Your Boss. (laughs) You pr- oh. You're such a prude, Ebony. Jeez. Uh, I
2: know, I know. I'm gonna start going to the same church as Chris Pratt. Oh, oh, ouch! Call back
0: <laughs> Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Technical support by Sarah Neralis. Production assistance by Taylor Simmons, and art by Jamie Varon. We'll see you all next week. Later. Bye.